Welcome to Voyage of the Greek, or the Geek. Yeah. Or the Greek Geeks. Uh, on this day, the 12th of October, 2016, which is a Wednesday, mm. not a Monday. And that's due to some scheduling issues that we had on Monday, um, which we like to, uh, normally we like to blame technology, mm. but this was a, a scheduling uh, administration mm. oversight. Mm. A wetware problem. Yeah, wetware. Yeah, <laughs> software and hardware was operating well on on, uh, on Monday. Not so well today. I've had a few glitchy things, so bear with us if, uh, if you... S- perceive anything at your end um so yes voyage of the geek with joining us today as a special guest obviously dan miller uh on the on the desk but joining us our special guest from the design ranks Mm. the game design ranks um some say he actually invented the double jump and the question mark but we cannot confirm these things rick legato welcome back to the show my friend good evening Pleasure to have you on board. We've been dying to pick your brains about some things, um, but first of all, um, you participated in a, in a narrative workshop over the weekend, script writing. No, it was actually a writer's conference. Awesome. Tell me about it. It's um, an annual conference called a Conflux, which happens in Canberra, um, sort of the October long weekend here, because we get an extra public holiday for being in the ACT, because we're special. Two in a row. It's, yep. You can get used to that. And uh, <laughs> while it's a quite a small conference, only about 200, 300 people. It attracts a lot of professional writers because they like their in- intimacy. There's no fans to mob them. Um, and it's really one of the very few conventions that's focused just on the craft of writing mm-hmm. as opposed to fandom and that sort of stuff. Um, and this year, one of our special guests was Dave Bulverton. Um, also known as Dave Farland. He writes his science fiction under Dave Wolverton and his fantasy under uh, Dave Farland, which I didn't know. Um, I was on a panel with Dave. Um, I was on two, actually. And so prior to the conference, the organisers sort of introduced us all via email, and I assumed this Dave guy, because that's the only information I had, was just some ordinary schmuck like me. Um, so, yep, there he is. Um, so there I was carrying on on the email in my normal buffoonish self. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking about one of the things I wanted to mention on the panel. And he said, oh, I, I did a, a similar thing in my first book. And so me assuming he's just a schmuck like me, I said, oh, what was your first book called? And, and uh, it's uh, On the Way to Paradise, which is actually quite a big book. But it didn't that didn't ring any bells. Um, it, but he emailed saying, yep, my, my first book's called On the Way to Paradise and I won the Philip K. Memorial Award for it. And when I read that, I thought, hey, wait a minute, that's like one of the biggest awards. Everyday schmucks don't just win that. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> and if he's yeah. got his first book, that, yeah. that seems to imply that he might have a second. <laughs> yep, so I had a look and I was like, oh, right. And I even wrote back saying, all right, now that I understand who it is I'm addressing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a, a bit of a, a relationship start on the email and I picked him up from the airport and we actually oh, cool. ended up having some great chats over the conference. Um, and he has a way of speaking where he tells a story and you have no idea where it's quite, where it's going to lead. And for example, he started, because he, he teaches a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was teaching at uh, 
university in the United States, and they'd been working on, uh, and this is something he's very clever at, looking at what um, aspects or elements in the story will attract what type of audiences. Mm, interesting. Um, and unlike some people who tend to take that as a very dry formula and their books are almost like a ingredients list for a cake, he manages to combine that with still being cre creative mm -hmm. and just really, I guess, pulling out those threads that are already in your story and making them clear mm. to attract certain audiences. And so they'd been talking about young adult fiction and what makes stuff work f for them. Anyway, and he, he told me about this uh, student of his, Stephanie, who came up to him after class one day and said, I want to write the most popular young adult book ever. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, okay. And she said, and I want it to be about a teenage girl who falls in love with vampires. And he was like, yep, all right, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so they had to start having this discussion about what would have to be in the book. You know, it's going to have to have a big <clears> element <throat> of, of romance. Mm -hmm of alienation, mm -hmm. of the main character finding herself and mm. sort of, you know, breaking the taboos. And one of the things he mentioned was, you know, the vampires can't be the normal predatory evil, uh, evil things. Mm. Because, you know, if a 16-year-old girl's going to fall in love with a vampire, then they have, has, they have to be... Attractive in uh, some way. Yeah, attractive <laughs> and have some redeeming... Yeah features uh -huh. um, and she also wanted to have werewolves in it and he said oh wait on wait on we've already changing vampires yeah. now you want to put in werewolves it'll all get a bit messy mm. but she really wanted werewolves in mm. and so eventually they came up to a decision where she th she decided she'd bring in werewolves in book two because mm. it was going to be a book two anyway and uh, so they spent the afternoon mapping out what was going to be in this story that's what became Twilight. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, of course, as he's explaining this, as soon as he said, you know, she wanted to write with vampires, I'm thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> and uh, another conversation we had, he was t t telling me how he was a green light consultant, I think it's called, for Scholastic. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's like a green light for um, films. They basically read manuscripts and look for ones worth, you know, mm -hmm. putting some in investment behind. Mm. And it this stage, uh, Scholastic really wanted to push a good speculative f fiction. They had $10 million they were willing to invest in the right story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he, he had a bit of a read of it, and uh, he found an interesting story that he, he liked, um, and no one was, had quite done what this writer had done for quite some time. And it was about a, a young orphan boy who lived with a horrible uncle and aunt, and ends up going to wizard school. Mm. And of course, one of the challenges he had to push with Scholastic, it was from an English author no one had ever heard of called J.K. Rowling. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he uh, had to convince others to read a bit of it. Because mm -hmm. yeah, there's always this reluctance to take on a first-time writer, especially mm -hmm. investing you know, $10 million mm -hmm. in someone mm -hmm. you know, in an unknown. Mm -hmm. But everyone else read it and they could see what... Dave saw in it, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Mm. Yeah. Um, but of course, he doesn't tell you he's going to talk about Harry Potter. He just starts telling you the story. <laughs> Halfway through, you start going, wait a minute. That's that, um, that's that hu humility that goes hand in hand with genius. Yeah, uh, it sounds like a sto bit of story craft right in there yeah, as well. He yeah, doesn't yeah. want to like show his hand too early. Yeah. You know, leave it for a surprise at the end. Absolutely. And, and also, his approach is, is it's just the normal craft. Mm. Like, 
Mm. Um, and he's taught like Brandon Sanderson and Sean Williams. So he's got this um, quite a, a a bunch of very famous writers that he's worked with and taught. Mm. He's head judge for um, writers of, of the future. Mm. Uh, it looks like he's done some Star Wars, um, yeah. extended universe stuff. Um, very fantasy sort of driven yeah. stuff. There's the mummy yeah, down in here. Yeah, he's very f- famous for his Rune Lords series. That's how I knew David Farland. Mm. I had no idea who this David Wolverton is, which oh, is how yeah. I mm-hmm. um, got didn't realise who I was speaking to on the email. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, this and this here looks like he may have written. Maybe speaking completely out of school here, but he may have written the Scorpion King, the considered one of the worst CG characters in oh, film really? history. Is that is when you see the Rock from the waist up is the Rock, but from the waist down he's the Scorpion. Oh, yeah. hmm. It's it's part three, I think, of the Mummy, or, or might have even been a. Sp- oh no, it was the Mummy one because he also did a spin-off movie that was. That's right. Um, it was sort of the the birth of that character yeah. that would later become the Scorpion King, um, the curse, but terrible. Like the it wasn't even good enough to rest in the Uncanny Valley. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they didn't even get come close mm-hmm. to creating recreating the rock digitally. Mm-hmm. Terrible. But the story was pretty cool. And and, <laughs> and why was that? Budget or just production? It could be values? a number of things. Could be a number of things. Um, Technology. Yeah, the tech might not have been right, and um, yeah, there's even today. There's only a few houses that can get away with photoreal humans. There's yeah. there's not many people that can do it, and it, you, try at your own peril because you can undo a whole film, a whole movie can fall in a heap like that one, mm-hmm. um, based on some really poor looking visual effects. Yeah, he's actually worked. Um, he's credits he's got um, green lighting in Hollywood and producing and writing scripts so he's actually been around mm-hmm. um, and actually his Star Wars the courtship of um, Princess Leia that became a New York bestseller oh really and, um, I forgot I can't remember the very famous American romance writer whose name escapes me right right now um, oh, I think her name ends in steel Danielle Steele. Danielle Steele. Yep. She's got an incredible body of work. Like, we're talking nearly thousands of books, as as far as I'm aware. Like, you can... One of the best sellers on um, Kindle, right, are these little tiny books, uh, 60 pages long, and the only purpose of the book is to catalogue the series of books. Oh, wow. Because there's authors that have so many books and the same character appears so oh, many times okay, okay. that people want to know that they've read them all and that they're reading them in order, <laughs> right, in right, the correct right. order. Yeah. So if you do a search for <laughs> books, popularity um, based on money, earnings, on Kindle, for books under 50 pages or under 60 pages, the top 10 are these little tiny books that have nothing but listings of somebody else's books. Hmm. The appendix. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Guide to a series. Wow! And you can do one. Like you don't need any royalty release or anything for you to do one of these books. People are making money off these listings. Wow. So these are probably fairly formula. The the, the books that she's and that's what um, he was talking about. Mm. About and I think you know um, just sort of pulling this all together that you know sometimes you might think that. You know, it's just magic that people who can write good stories or make good songs... No, it's, it's in the structure. It's yeah, yeah. There are rules and there are things you can do to 
it's not just a roll of the dice, right? And the same with the story yeah. or a video or a song or a yeah. a film or whatever. I uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm. um, and you would certainly know whether I'm, I'm talking complete crap or, or whether I'm on the right track. It's formulaic um, in in the, the loose sense. So it's to me, it's like a cake recipe or a, or a, a, a meal recipe where you can work within the formula and certain things you can be heavy-handed with and other things you, you can't. And the originality has to be found within the formula. You can't the reinvent the, the formula and call that originality. Yeah. Because through my... And we have a lot of experience with students and that they don't get that. They think that different is new. Well, yeah, by default, but it doesn't mean that it works. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I could reverse the plugs on a PowerPoint <laughs> cable and it'll be different, different. Yeah. and new, but it'll kill you. Yeah. Um, and they just don't get it. They don't yeah. get it. You know, you can't reinvent gravity, mm. right, to suit your story because you want to be new. With, soy sauce doesn't go with chocolate cake. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely right. You can do lots of things with soy sauce and lots of things with chocolate cake, yeah. but you can't cross the streams. Absolutely. You know? yeah. And it's about finding balance within the formula that you choose. Mm. Now and then you get crazy bastards like um, Tarantino, who just breaks all the rules. But his formula is broken rules. Yeah. Like that's mm. his formula. And if you look at his films, realistically, it's a montage. It's more like a, mu a music video. Yeah. He picks the soundtrack and but, then, he, then he creates the movie. But he also understands the rules in the first place. That's right. Then you can break them once yeah. you understand them. Because you know you're not doing something like sticking the plugs in the yeah. wrong thing, right? You, yeah. you, you know exactly what you're doing. And and even then, Tarantino was really trying to recapture those action pulp B grades mm. in the yeah. 60s and 70s that he grew up with. Yeah. I think it's more of a radical rebalance. He's yeah. not really mixing the soy sauce and the chocolate yeah. cake. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's just going hyper soy sauce or whatever. Yeah. You know, he's decided stacking that the chocolate cake up. Yeah. fifteen layers high. It's not. Know. It's not a la carte where you pick a, an entree and a main and a dessert. It's a buffet, <laughs> yeah. and he just puts it all on the table, and you can take what you want. He, I think it was Coppola that said any more than any more than three genres is a mess mm. so you can have comedy mm. sci-fi whatever action um, but Tarantino just laughs at that where he can put anime in with action mm. in with drama in with suspense and even western you know mm. and he just shoves them all together mm. and gets away with it mm. because he has a signature of his own and now people refer to that as yeah. a, a, a formula yeah. absolutely and, and down the track someone else will break Tarantino's formula mm. that's right mm. um, and getting back to David, his, I guess, genius is that he's following the recipe but doing it without measuring properly, you know, that feel, that yeah. a, a pinch of this, a slightly mm -hmm. heavy pinch of this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference between the, you know, anything that's too formulaic. Loses organic. Yeah. So what, what were some of the sort of examples of things that, um, that he might identify or some of the rules or whatever when trying to match contents of a story to a demographic? Um, I actually wrote down copious notes, but I, I didn't bring them. <laughs> With well, just me. some general ideas, you know. It's as simple as everybody loves Vikings, so we'll put that in the story. Or is it more... No, it, because also the rules change depending on the time. Mm. You know, what might be work for young adults now might not have worked 20 years ago, so mm. you have to be aware mm. of it's, it doesn't stay, it stay the same. Cultural yeah. vibe changes. It doesn't yeah. age well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like the, the example of the vampire. To work as a young adult, um, 
novel that a teenage because she wanted to aim it at teen, teenage girls and mm. young women. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the typical vampire as we know them, as mm. I like them, um, wouldn't have worked. The crusty old dudes. Yeah, and and they would have been you know <laughs> mean. Even the Lost Boys. Yeah, you know that wouldn't have worked because they're too wild. They're, yeah, they're yeah. predators. Yeah. Um, and here you have this, you know, homegirl, this white girl who's every day, and, and really she's a very much a Mary Jane yeah. character. She's a cipher for the reader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, look at the, um, what is there, about a decade in between Buffy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that, yeah. and, and that's a, the, the same audience. Yeah. It's the mm-hmm. exact same audience. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and how different they are. Yeah, that's that's a that's the thing that I find fascinating, and we and we started to talk about it, but then we had to um, run off. I was actually interested because to me, Buffy seems to have more agency than um, I can't even remember the girl's name in Twilight. No, I can't uh, remember. Oh, no idea. Kristen. Well, that was the actress. Oh, the actress. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't. Um, Bella. 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 That, that's it. Um, I shouldn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> We'll edit that out later. I'm going to blame Leanne for that. (laughs) (laughs) Even though she's got nothing to do with it. And uh, so, yeah, he obviously understands what, you know, like I said, I I don't have any great examples now on Mm. the top of my head. Tell me, a professional writer like like this guy, he's writing writing screenplays. um, What's... What sort of um, remuneration can you expect to write at that level? Where does the where, where does the money come from, and in what form? Is it like a one-off? Is it they retain a deal, rewrites? What what do you what have you run across? Um, it's, it's funny. A lot of the people he teaches have made far more money than he has, mm. which is interesting. Mm. But um, for, it's a good sign of a good teacher. Yeah, mm. and but he's he's the sort of guy he, he couldn't care. He's happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm. It means he's done his your job well as yeah. far as he's and he's probably comfortable concerned. yeah like it's, it's yeah. not like he's probably he's not no. picking cigarette butts out of the garbage bin or anything like no, that that's right he's probably comfortable but that's a good indication that he's a good teacher mm. that, that if his students are going on to big things i know there was one guy that wrote he we brought him on at, at liquid to write um a tv commercial um it was a campaign so there was a series of three commercials that had to be written yeah. um and it was a very short gig and we brought him on um he came he came to us fresh from Hollywood selling a script and that was 250 grand. Wow. And the movie never got made. It, and and, I, and this, uh, this woke me up to something that I didn't even know existed. They buy scripts so that no one else yeah, will I, make them. They, they buy the options. Yeah, and they just put it there and they may never touch it, but they know that while it's there, no one else can touch it. And it's a commodity. It's like an investment. Yeah. If, if it's a good script, it's a good story... You're not throwing any money away at all because you resell it later yeah. on. Mm. Especially if that person has gone on to write new, better things. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a, a writer um, that I know, first time writer pretty much, sold the options to his story for 17500 which obviously isn't none, anything compared to, you know, 250000 mm. He was amazed. Yeah. A guy from nowhere from Australia. Mm. Someone just spotted it and went, mm. we want that option. Yeah. It's 17 and a half thousand bucks. Yeah, right. Well, the script, I'm currently teaching some um, production stuff for, for budgeting. And, oh, yeah, um, yeah. and part of that it was showing some examples. And mm. the two examples that I came across when I was putting together the research um, for this subject was uh, Lara Croft, um, Cradle, 
Cradle of something, Cradle of Civilization, or Darkness, Cradle of Darkness. The second, I think it was the second movie, or yeah, yeah, I can't. Mm -hmm. But um, and the other one was Spider Man Two. Have a guess how much the the story, the script, was sold for Spider Man Two. Give us a guess. A million dollars. I don't know. Because you've seen the film, yeah? Mm-hmm. Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With Spider-Man 2 would have been Doc Ock. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep. Yeah. Um, above 10. Really? 10 million dollars? Above 10. So what now? What, what would you guess now? 25. You're closer. You're closer. 20 million dollars. Jesus. For that story. For that story. And it's Harold uh, Harold <laughs> Ramey as well. Harold Ramey? Or Ramus. Harold Ramis. Who's the guy that did Evil Dead? Ramis. Um, he did the Spider-Man movies. The same guy that did Evil Dead. That's okay. why Bruce Campbell from the Evil Dead yeah. uh, Army of Darkness keeps popping up in the Spider-Man movies. I think he's an usher that won't let him into the yeah. theatre in one uh, and another okay. one. Because um, they're very tight and very close. But yeah, in this breakdown, you could see who was getting paid what and $20 million for the actual... Uh, for the script. All right, so... 20 million bucks. Now, this sort of factors into my little bugbear about how it's possible. How is it possible to have a bad story or a not awesome or a not good quality story in a movie? Right? Now, when you think about it, when you think about it, it just takes one or two writers, two people, and they sit and, you know, and they come up with a thing and they do the rules and they write the thing and you've got an awesome story. It's well constructed. Yep. All right? You can imagine that the the film itself, with many people working on it, there's plenty of room for problems and errors and things to not quite work right. But yeah, I'm always fascinated on how it's possible to get that wrong. Do you think it's somehow related to the fact that twenty million dollars is involved? And how is it that that doesn't make it good? Yeah, <coughs> the the uh, one of the reasons why it could be twenty million dollars is the amount of people that wrote it. Um, you've got Might to see. Got around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there yes. could be six people that, that wrote that script, and they had to keep paying off people to go away, uh. so that they could bring someone in. Um, you've got to see the behind the scenes to Ridley Scott's uh, Gladiator, and and specifically the section when they're talking about the script mm-hmm. and how Russell Crowe kept getting involved, and and then it resulted ultimately in those in it's either oh, yeah. me or him, and yeah. so another script writer's gone, and another guy comes in, and he starts writing more for Russell, and then realise can't work with this dickhead, and. I think they had five scriptwriters by the end of the film, maybe more. Um, you can see how that could chew the dollars because yeah. you've got to retain them on, mm. and then you've got to they're probably in their contract. Their writers in Hollywood are very heavily uh, unionized, mm. so you would expect it's not easy to get rid of a writer mm-hmm. on a big project like that. Mm. So that's one way. The other thing that I think could add up to the twenty million, if you look at a budget for a film, directors are actually quite low paid on the film they usually get quite a bit on the front end mm. on syndication on box office mm-hmm. um, and that's where they make their money so yeah. they tend not to ask for big amounts Incentive. to shoot yeah unless they're the co-writer unless they've co-written it and mm-hmm. then they actually own the story and you know how copyright works on so many different mm-hmm. levels mm-hmm. the person that writes the piece is always the person that has the most rights throughout time beyond it you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because medium falls away. Mm. Um, visual medium can turn into stage medium. Is, mm. Do you know what I mean? The more mm. you start to spread thin on <clears throat> the um, on the tail end of production, 
the person right at the very start earns more money because as this starts to thin out and go in different directions graphic novels and games and all the spin-offs right the writer gets money if from all of them if they own the intellectual property yeah. and they haven't signed it off for mm. yeah and that's it. why they're often <clears throat> expensive because the writer is signing their what rights away that's right to the characters they create mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. to um to the ip basically yeah um and they're commissioned or contracted to write that script mm. and they they get paid a lot because they're giving away all their rights because that film could make gazillions and they won't get one cent more because they've if sold they, their rights. Yeah, if they sign that right. And that's what most of them do in, in, in Hollywood unless... If the bill's big. Like, you've yeah. got to pay almost as if it will be a success um, mm. for a writer to do that. And most of the time, there's only two camps. There's the ones that are banking on success, so it's a $150 million budget, and then you don't really get a chance to not be successful for that because... They're still spending seventy million on marketing, so you're always going to get the money back. Mm. Um, and the other alternative is, if it is low budget, mm-hmm. and you can't afford to buy that privilege, so you have to retain, you have to leave that privilege with them and pay a lesser amount of money. Mm. And then they, that's like they're rolling the dice in a very stacked way. That they're, they're going to get paid either way. You're going to mm-hmm. give me a retainer. You're going to give me money up front. Um, but I'm also, if you're successful, I'm going to get points mm. through the contract and I'm going to retain the right to turn it into a miniseries later on if I want to or you have to buy that off me later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty smart. They're very well represented, <coughs> yeah. writers. That, um, that town just comes to a grinding halt. If the writers quit, mm. like go on strike, <coughs> shut it down. I was I talking... Oh, sorry, Dad. Well, I was just talking about to- with Tom <coughs> about this this morning. And, um, yeah, I have a firm conviction that it's the story and the character that's holding it all together. You can have a stick figure animation, the little stick figure people, but if it's if it doesn't have a good story, it's not going to... And you can have a thousand special, you know, special effects and, a, yeah. and everything, but if it doesn't... That still... It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, um, you know, compensate for the fact that the... The story is not so. I, I reckon it's such a, such a, such an important foundation. Um, I, I think I'm, I may have mentioned it in the last time I was here. That story about Kevin Smith writing that script for yeah. Superman, mm-hmm. and he had to work with a producer that used to be Barbara Streisand's hairdresser. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who then went on to actually produce the first Batman movie. Yeah, yeah, right. The first one, the one that they rebooted. The you know before the his Batman, it was Burt West. In purple tights. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know that's what I mean? right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Keaton. Yeah, yeah. Um, so even there, there was some craziness with his decision making. Yeah, and uh, Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. And uh, he did uh, the Wild Wild West. Mm. And in fact, the spider, the monster <laughs> yes, spider, he tried to inflict on Kevin Smith. Um, he because he was obviously pretty attached to that spider. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, um, made it to Wild Wild West. Yeah. But he kept um, asking. Kevin Smith, like for instance, he wanted Kevin Smith to write it so that um, he had an army of um, sort of clones or Superman soldiers in his um, Fortress of Solitude. That's right. Guards. And, yeah. Right. And then he also wanted... <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Smith kept saying, why would Superman need guards? <laughs> <laughs> and it's supposed to be the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, that's, and it's the Fortress of Solitude. And he kept saying, Kevin Smith kept saying these things and he kept saying back, well, no, because we need conflict at the front door. How about some polar bears? <laughs> yeah, an army of polar bears. I don't think I can write a story awesome. where Superman tears a polar bear in half. 
<laughs> and uh, also, he thought the uh, cape thing was old-fashioned. That's right. You can't okay. put him in the cape. cape. Yeah. All right. So all he right. can't wear the Superman. The three things with it. Yeah. Can't wear the Superman suit. He can't fly. Mm. I don't want him to fly. And there has to be a giant spider in it. <laughs> and they, that was the producer. That's yeah. the guy. And you know the craziness is afoot when the producer says, for a while in early production, I took on the role of the director. The amount of times I've had to work for producers that want to be directors. Oh, it's a fucking nightmare. Because in one hand, they've got a checkbook yeah, that they yeah. want to watch all the zeros and everything. And on the other hand, they want to be something that they're not. They're not. They're distinctly not a director. A director's born. One in 50 people can mm. direct, mm. right? And and that doesn't guarantee that they'll be good. Mm. You just have to be a very special breed to be able to do it. And the people that pretend to do it, the same guy with the checkbook is making these calls and then he's making decisions on, well, maybe that is worth $5 million. It's my money, so yeah, let's have a giant spider. <laughs> yeah. Fucking madman. Are we now sort of answering the question about how bad stories yeah, exactly. happen. Exactly. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's exactly how it and, and our conclusion, I think, at the moment is it's not actually the writer's fault. They know what they're doing. Just shut up and let them do their thing. It's I would have to say that very rarely is it the writer's fault. <laughs> very rarely. Mm. That story and narrative is a time-honoured thing, yeah? And you can't... Um, and it's writing for screen is a time-honoured thing. And even, I mean, I've had Kevin Smith's problems working on a computer game. I won't mention which one. Mm -hmm. But uh, I remember someone... Give us... Give, uh, give us the initials. Does it start with Chrome? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and uh, and uh, someone actually put me onto that video where Kevin Smith is, is talking about this mm -hmm. because we had just had a meeting just like that yeah. uh -huh. with the executives who were not only telling us what the story would be and how we'd write it, they were actually dictating the story to us and the dialogue. Yeah. And it was absolutely like you know i could have a bottle of vodka and i'd still do better mm. than them mm. and we just had to kind of stand there and go yep stand there and take it and you know what you're in for it's like yeah. um if you have a meeting like that and you need the work you only have to go through it once to recognize the language yeah. and you can be in a meeting where you haven't signed anything and then you have to go home and think I know what this is going to I know what's going to happen here. It's like all the shit mm. is going to get blamed on me and all the triumphs he's going to wear while he's sipping champagne around his other backslapping idiot mates. People in power positions in media don't earn their way there all the time. Mm. Most well, of the time they don't. Well, Kevin Smith actually said, um, because of this business example of Barbara Streisand's ex-hairdresser, mm. that in Hollywood you fail upwards. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, they do. Yeah. What do they call it? You, 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 you rise to the level of your incompetence. Of, of your incompetence. <laughs> yeah. You literally go up until you can't actually do it, that it, job. It's like an electrician. You say, "Well, that guy's an awesome electrician. Let's make him a boss of yeah, electricians." Yeah, so, so, and now he's he's telling electricians yeah. what to do. He's like, "Let's make him the boss of the bosses." He's never done that before. He's really useless at that. Well, that's as far as he can go then. And it's the same. You go to the public service. They go a bit further. They say anyone that's dangerous, put him in management because they spend most of their time in meetings instead of in the doing the important stuff on the ground. Mm. And it is a lot safer for knowing that they're stuck in rooms just waffling to one another. So another conclusion, <coughs> I think, <coughs> is that <coughs> some of these decisions made about the story or about the characters 
are not necessarily made with the best interests of the story in mind. There's some other priority outside. And it might just be, it might be dollars or it might be money, or it might just be that some dude has this picture of a friggin' gigantic electronic yeah. spider in his head. He's yeah. going to cram it into any friggin' movie <laughs> that he can. That's funny. And, and that's not not the story demanding that. Exactly. It's this external force yeah. that's pushing Which it. could have been a dream. It could have been a dream. Or in high school, he drew spiders yeah, yeah, really yeah. well. All his exercise books in the margin, there's spiders. I, yeah, I bet. Yeah, I totally bet. He's, um, he even goes in the documentary, the the documentary we're referring to um, where he where, um, Smith and, and this guy talks and um, is The Death of Superman Lives. That's it. It's called. And the name came out last year. Fantastic documentary. Really, really, oh, yeah. really nicely done. Um the guy who hosted and created it is uh, he's actually a mate of John Campier. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, he's on that panel quite mm-hmm. often. I think his name's Schneb or something like that. But he has inside contacts, so he's able to go and talk to a lot of these people. And a lot of file footage of the outfit uh, sessions held in some hotel room somewhere with Nick Cage is standing in amongst of all these these people who are walking around, some of them ordering lunch, other people trimming <laughs> fabric and whatever. And he's trying all these super suits on with the funny lights under the plastic skin and all this shit it's a really good doco and most people have no idea about it it was a tim it was it was going to be a tim burton movie yeah and, they, it, and the weird tim burton not mm. not the batman the first batman tim burton okay yeah it went real weird yeah because in um because the bit that i've seen is um kevin smith speaking at, at some college or something he's talking about this and and he actually says yeah and then they got um, they brought Tim Burton on, and Tim Burton brought on his own writer mm. that he wanted. So that's right. And threw away Kevin, Kevin Smith, Smith. Yeah. just straight out. As soon as he saw the name, he said, no, we won't be using that. So there must have been something personal there, I think. Mm. Um, and let's face it, Tim Burton is a um, Tim Burton is a crazy, crazy man. He's he's the crazy genius pyramid thing. Yeah. He's right at the very top of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the this is it here. The death of Superman lives. What happened? Um, John Schnepp is the director. Um, but yeah, really, all of these, all of these people have their say. Um, not Nicholas Cage. I don't think he gets to say. I think much John yet. Peters is the producer. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. yeah. What was Nicholas Cage's role in potential role in this? Superman. He was going to be Superman. He was going to be Superman with long hair, long mullet, oh, right? Geez. Long black, <laughs> long black greasy mullet. I like didn't you know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me let me bring. Have it up. you seen him in Hell Rider? Hell Rider, right? The yeah. motorcycle. Yeah. yeah. I'd, have you seen? I'm not even allowed to bring him movie, up in front I, of Leanne. Like, just the name has a. <laughs> here we go. Some some of the images. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. Um, these ones weren't too bad, but this, look at these. Look at this stuff down in here. Yeah. And look at that. You see, that's getting soy sauce in the fucking chocolate cake. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Look at his, look at his hairline here on the bottom of the left there. This one here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It looks like he's, it's a head replacement thing where somebody's done a you know, a joke thing. They've got a body of Superman and they've stuck, yeah, look, this is the stupidest thing in the world. Check this out. It'll be a meme. You see, know? This, see this one here, right? Mm. Um, that photo, uh, one of the stories in the, uh, in the doco is um, the guy that did Usual Suspects, Singer. He also did the X-Men, Mark Singer. 
He's the director. Oh, right, okay. Director of the Usual Suspects, and he did X Men. He did Superman Returns, which was the mid two thousands version. Mm-hmm. You know, with Brandon Roth. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, um, where Superman fought an island. I think was the villain that he, you know, yeah, Lex Luthor was in it, but ultimately the big test for Superman was an island, because <laughs> okay. um, they they created a kryptonite island. Okay, okay. It was all about real estate, apparently. This 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 version of Superman here. Well, Mark Singer carried this photo around with him during that production, and if anyone questioned him <laughs> about the suit that he chose, <laughs> about any of his aesthetic choices, he would pull that photo out, and he'd say. You could, you wanted to make this, <laughs> and kept sh- reminding people of the movie that they wanted to make. During the documentary, Schnepp, um, this guy here is the director, and that's the producer, the crazy. Pro- look, you're putting a sleeper hold on him. You got to watch the doco because the the producer actually starts talking about how he was a street fighter. Like that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's a thing called a, like you can be a street fighter. Mm-hmm. No, you can have a fight in a street, right? Because it just happens to break out in a street. Uh-huh. But you could also be a foyer fighter or a toilet <laughs> block fighter. Like that's just Corridor ridiculous. Fighter. And so he's full of shit. And so that I think that's hilarious. The fact that he's put a sleeper hold on him. But this <laughs> schnep guy went through all of the footage from the hotel room where they're all trying shit on and found the exact frame. That that was taken okay. from from a different camera, okay, yeah. and and found the actual. This brought the film to a standstill. That image, I'm, I'm it not, leaked, and that brought the film to a standstill because no one knew that Tim Burton was making a Superman film, or that he was going to be in it. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised because that looks like the sort of thing you wear to a club called the Blue Oyster in Berlin. <laughs> 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 And this is the sort of stuff that fans rage about, yeah, right? When, yeah. when fans, you know, so some director says, "Yeah, let's give Super, you know, Superman a mullet or something like that," <laughs> and he thinks, ah, "That'll be awesome," you know. I don't know what he's thinking. <clears throat> you know, people will like it or laugh at it, but you know, fans want to see. They want to see the red cape. Yeah. Because Superman's supposed to have a fucking red cape. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's right. If you take the red cape <clears throat> and the outfit away from Superman. Mm. Then all you've got is backstory, haven't you? Like the identity is gone. The That's only right. thing you've got has to then be explained mm, to yeah. the audience. Because we now there's no cape and there's no outfit. I don't know. Is that the Superman that I'm aware of? And if you have to confirm it for me, mm. you have to. Does he come from Krypton? Mm. Is, or have you changed that as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the rabbit hole you go mm. down when you want to start yeah. changing well, this shit. Yeah, I mean, then he. He can be, you know, the flying nun's brother. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that's not a big leap from where they were. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah, the, the producer guy, to get his spider in, even thought of a backstory for the fi- the, the spider. It was called a... Spider-Man. Gartherian uh, snare beast or something <laughs> like that. Came up with a name with it and a backstory yeah. and how all these tiny spiders were going to come out of its mouth and attack Superman and all this shit. I'm sort of glad they didn't make the film. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad he, he got the spider out of his system in Wild Wild West. <sighs> so, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Oh, yes. Ah, no man's guy. Before we start, Allow me to introduce something that was published the other day in an article, uh, Forbes, Forbes magazine, now reporting that No Man's Sky is under investigation for misleading advertising. Mm. 
the ASA is responding to questions um, uh, from Eurogamer by confirming that they are investigating No Man Sky in response to several complaints they received about the game. And it's about how the game is portrayed in media marketing relative to what you pay for. And it goes on to talk about the things that are going to be investigated and the power that this ASA has. ASA stands for... Uh, it's got it here. Uh, Advertising Standards Authority. Mm-hmm. Is that a United States? I think uh, UK. The UK's okay. Advertising Standards Authority. Mm. The UK's got some pretty strong rules when it comes to saying th- something without evidence, mm-hmm. like slanderous mm-hmm. type stuff, um, and also false advertising. They take that shit mm. pretty seriously. So when when you read on, you get this list of things that they have a problem with. Um, issues with videos, ship flying behaviour, information with a wingman flying close to the ground. So that's a no-no. They're going to have to pull that out. Behaviour animals in herds, destroying scenery in water, reacting to surroundings. So by saying that they've got a problem with this, they're suggesting that the animals do not, in fact, uh, travel in herds, destroy scenery uh, in water or reacting to surroundings. That would be true. Yeah. That would be true. I've, I've played about 92 hours. <laughs> that's a commitment. So I will... Uh, you, you can... You can uh, uh, you can attest to this or not. Okay. Large-scale space combat. Well, I suppose... The space biggest... is big and yeah. there is combat. I mean, well, <laughs> I would call it... Well, it, it depends what you call large-scale combat. Like, the biggest I, I encountered was probably three huge capital ships. Oh, yeah, yeah. And about 13 fighters. Well, that's large-scale. Yeah, so... It's not small-scale. No. The capital ships shoot at you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. I, I think that... Which they're not supposed to because I'm actually saving them, which to me is a problem. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other can, can of worms. Um, structures and buildings are pictured. As pictured? Well, are there any structures? Oh, or yeah, Did you yeah, run yeah, into structures? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, you they... do that all, all, all the time. Yeah. Um, flower, flowing water. Do you see no. any water movement? Um, you see un- undulations mm. of, of water. So, but it's not, it's not like a river. Not like a, a river, no. Because I think that's what they're talking about here—a river flowing water. Um, speed of galaxy warp and slash loading time. Oh, for crying out loud! Um, so I think they're talking about in a trailer. It's like you're there. Yeah, um, <laughs> Is it slow to to load? Um, compared to a lot of other games, um, like Deus Ex: Mankind on on undivided, I'm playing at the moment. Mm. It's got huge loading times. Yeah, um, that's got less, a, a lot less. So it's not stand out to you. No. Um, aiming systems. What are they referring to there? Um, actually, you do with the uh, when you're in your spaceship, you've got the uh, the beam weapon that has a an aim. Mm-hmm. So, like as a game developer. Mm. Um, while I, I totally agree. No Man's Sky, you know, hyped itself up to be something it wasn't. But seeing all that as a game developer, my alarm bells are ringing. Yeah. Because sometimes you change things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes things there's not enough time to f- finish that feature or, or get it working properly. Mm-hmm. And if we start getting, um, especially for indies who can't afford. Yeah. Um, to don't have as much, you know, room to move. You start getting sued because you said you're going to have dual wielding mm-hmm. guns, and it turns out you don't. Yeah. And I think this is, if you read the article up here, it's in relation to 
they're continuing to um, market um, these things now. So if you go and look at the trailers right now on Steam, you're, you're seeing these things. And I yeah, think that's they, what the problem is. Because they have to make new trailers, I guess. Which I think you're sort of obligated to do. Once you start charging people 60 bucks a unit, it's okay when it's in early development and beta and all that sort of stuff. But once it hits the market, it's, you know, imagine a car. Imagine a car that says, you're going to be able to park itself and do all this shit. And then in development, they find it, they have trouble with that, but they have to sell the car. Yeah. And they leave all that stuff in the media. They could get in big shit. Mm, mm, right? That's true. You know, there's a big difference in the spend. Yeah. But um, yeah, they're, they're talking about down here issues in screenshots, the sizes, the size of creatures. Um, oh, seem to it, differ um, from the initial from the advertising media. Well, considering they're randomly, uh, they're procedurally generated. Mm. I saw some small versions of yeah. things, and then. Similar, very similar beast, but yeah. a lot bigger. That so, one's a hard one to prove because isn't there an infinite number of yeah, planets? Exactly. So couldn't they turn around to this ASA? Yeah, and just <laughs> so say you, been, you just haven't found the right planet yet. Well, yeah, because yeah. and the flowing water that you're you're on the wrong planet. <laughs> I think um, I, I think there's some clever people in the world who've, who've dived into the code and they're pulling it apart from the insides. Mm. Um, I heard stories of people, yeah, to try and confirm whether X, Y, or Z was in the yeah. There's um, there's there's also a uh, a people side to the drama as well. You know, they they're not releasing enough timely information to people, and and they go missing when they're called on something, mm. and 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 so there's that whole side that I'm I'm not following it, but I come across these articles. What was the guy's name again? Who was um. The, the sort of um, face Murray, of the Sean Murray, is it? Sean Murray. Mm. There was a... Actually, one of our ex... Damn it, I've forgotten his name. AIE was. teachers uh, put a Facebook post, he jumped on the plane, and he was in, in front of him, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. And we were all joking about, you know, why don't you ask him where, what happened to that? <laughs> <laughs> it was a... Yeah, Sean Murray. Dean, actually. <clears throat> oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, wow. And we all had a, a bit of a laugh. So... I think I take your point that, um, yeah, you know, sometimes not everything's going to come together, and that's fair mm. enough, and you've got to have a little bit of leeway. On the flip side, Sean Murray seemed to be a little bit uh, blasé with the truth, yeah, or, yeah. or blasé with his um, <coughs> omissions. There was there was an omitted information, information that could have been... Well, he was a bit vague on a yeah, lot of things, yeah. and seemed to be specific on other things. Yeah. Uh, I think you've got to be very, you know, you've got to be very, very bloody clear on these things. And I think he was, um, I don't know, perhaps a little bit naive. And uh, when the cameras and the lights flashed in his eyes and people said, you're going fucking awesome. Is it going to have 20 yeah. monsters? And he says, well, yeah, yeah 20 well, monsters. You better will. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I think I think he, he was just too excited about his product yeah. um, and didn't kind of think about what he was saying. Mm. Um, and, you know, they may have talked about those things. They may have tried those things. Some mm. of those things may have been in it at one stage. They, you know, for, uh, for whatever reasons, cut it out because the feature wasn't quite working or it caused mm. problems. And you've got to be... I mean, you do have to be careful with what you're saying. Mm. Um, it's made $45 million. They've, yeah, right. de- they've declared that they've sold 750 units at 60 bucks. 750 units? Uh, 750,000 units at 50 bucks. Yeah. 60 bucks yeah. um, that's 45 million which would probably be pounds I'd yeah. say if they're, if they're including those numbers in a UK article 
All right, Rick. So I've been watching the, the controversy and, and, and checking it out because it's all been rather fascinating, especially how something can go, you know, it can flip. It's like one of those dial explanations yeah. for things. It's like, you know, we love things. We love it. We love it. We love it. You know, we, we don't like it. It's up the top of the dial. Love, 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 love. And then it clicks over back to hate, yeah. you know, in one second. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Tell us your impressions of it. Yeah, and, you've, um, you've done nearly you, 100 hours. Um, it's... Are you, do you fight against it, or is it something that... Um, there's elements I don't like, um, where I just think, really? Mm. Um, but having, you know, I've played 100 hours, and I haven't even finished it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've still got heaps to, to do, but the call of Deus Ex, um, which I nearly ended up working on, that's not a story, mm. um, was just too, too strong. Mm. I, I, I was dying to play that. Mm. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's it's a good game. I didn't actually listen to most of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of realised early on the talk about it changed uh, to start. It started to sound more like uh, you know Star Citizen or something, and I thought, wait a minute, that's not what you guys were talking about before. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put that in the hype bucket, mm-hmm. in the bullshit bucket, mm-hmm. and I kind of. So my expectations were what it was originally mm-hmm. um, done as, and be- so that's what I was expecting. So yeah. I came in with a different set of um, expectations. I, I expected a game where it'd be pretty open sandbox. Um, it wasn't going to be a big starship fighter. It was, you know, it's really what I call a real exploration game uh, yeah. with a bit of combat and trading. Yep. Um, and the sort of game where you have to set your own goals, whether it is, you know. I'm going to decide to. I want to upgrade my ship, which is a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. So I try to make money, um, and this game manages to tap into some secret OCD part of my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big ways to earn money is if you manage to uh, catalogue all the animals on that planet, and they'll actually okay. say there's eleven or twelve or nine. Mm-hmm. And you can normally find the first 75% pretty easily, but then that last 25%, bloody hell, I've spent hours walking around that these planets trying to find... Um, well, you found it. You, you told me about an interesting thing, yeah. too, where there was some sort of acid rain or something. Yeah, it So you blasted a hole in a cliff face or in a, yeah. in a rock face and hid yeah, in there from the acid rain. Yeah, there's in, emergent gameplay like there's these big chunks of minerals and uh, I can't remember what the mineral was but there was this radioactive rain and storm and I was too far away from anywhere to to get back to shelter so I actually drilled a hole Mm -hmm. in this big lump of mineral and and hid in there Uh um, while the storm was on yeah and that's just you know that's emergent that's cool that's cool Um, so there's all those moments moments where you Walking, thinking, you know, I'd better find that, that last bloody animal. Mm-hmm. And you walk over a hill and suddenly you've got this vista that's a bit different from what you've already seen of the planet. It's mm. like, wow. Mm-hmm. Or it just might be a really n- nice shot. Mm. Or this really rare mineral. Um, you end up walking into a, a cave and suddenly this mineral that you've been searching, you know, for suddenly there's a big thing of it in this cave. You're like, oh, fan- you know, fantastic. I'm going to make a mint here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all those moments. But you have to... Give yourself objectives, and, yeah. Um, and it's not—it's not the sort of game that's going to tell you necessarily what to do. Like, I still don't know what the big story is. There is a, a meta story, mm. and there seems to be two paths. There's the to the core of the, of the galaxy, but then there's also chasing these 
the path of atlas or whatever that is i still don't know what a lot of these i'm still discovering Does, would that indicate that um potentially the the narrative is an afterthought and it's more of a did it did has the game started in a tech space Yes, of course it's done yeah, in the yeah. tech space, right? And then the narrative was corrupted cool around procedural it. Because you should know what the game's about, shouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, know any hours? You should probably know what the game's well, about. And, and that's, <laughs> I think that's a bit of a problem because we're starting to get into the, the mullet Superman yeah, yeah. territory yeah. because we've got a cool piece of tech and now we've got to... We're trying to wrap it, it around a spider. Yeah, we've got to try and get a story attached to it. Yeah. It, and, and it didn't start with the story and it didn't start with a... I don't know, I'm guessing. It didn't start with a... The journey of a hero or whatever you know it started with a thousand thousand planets or yeah something. and and you know i don't know i to be honest i don't know if a game like no man's sky needs a very strong no rigid narrative because it's to me it's a real exploration game mm. um you know it, to me it, it could go either way you could have a nice you know a good strong narrative in there mm. um or to me for that's a good point for a game like like this it's a very meta, upper level narrative that doesn't get in the way mm. of my wandering around planets mm. for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and but there are design problems um, that inconsistent with the game vision, and I think that's one of the problems. Um, like for instance, for a game with so much exploration, you walk so slowly. I mean, for yeah. the love of God, I've seen asthmatic old ladies move faster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and. For instance, um, the, I reached the top tier achievement for distance walking on my first planet. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, obviously they didn't, uh, you know, did you realise that you're going to walk? How were you expecting people to move around? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, know, I think they need to think of that. Mm. One, my probably biggest disappointment is the feeling of, I wanted this feeling that I am the only being, you know, humanoid being mm. for miles. There's no civilization for galaxies. That never happens. Yeah. Um, and that to me was a big letdown. You're walking around there on these planets that are supposedly undiscovered, yet there's a space station orbiting it. All right. There's structures, um, fact, little factories and mm. little places with aliens actually in them working. Yeah. Um, that you can trade with and talk with. There's um, often above you, there's ships flying. It's like Pitt Street up there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking. Where's this idea of, you know, this vast, empty, lonely place? Yeah. Um, it's the most busy, populated, lonely place I've ever seen. So that that thing they tried to, they, they did advertise, you know, you're, that's not there. If the place has got people working in it, mm. and buildings and spaceships flying above, and a space station orbiting nearby, mm. that's not vastness of empty space. No. No. Did your, as your opinion maintained throughout the your your 100 hours your 90 hours um again only because i i as soon as i started hearing that extra hype go up a a few gears i just straight away i just thought no yeah that's bullshit Mm. yeah um so i just i totally ignored it because i just thought whatever they're talking about that's interesting i didn't believe them because i Mm. thought you're not talking about the same game you were talking about before yeah and i couldn't see how in that space of time game had developed from what they initially spoke about mm. to this and also what they initially spoke about and what they ended up speaking about towards the end to me were two entirely di- different games yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, which might mean that they're you know 
they didn't know quite. They didn't have a vision at the start. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They didn't have a target. They were finding the target as they. And I think they stuck pretty much their original mm. target. Mm. Um, and then I think he started to talk about the potential of yes. where it could go, mm. rather than what he had. Yeah. Mm. And, and then it's easy to blur the lines. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, I think if you come at it without knowing anything about the hype or the backstory, yeah, you just just stumbled across it one day. You know what have you got? Yeah. You've got a. It looks pretty reasonable. It's pretty right. Yeah, the, the vistas and stuff yeah. and the UI the is art, all The nice art style is lovely. And, um, yeah. It works. It works. Like, it doesn't not work. You it's know a very I mean? zen game. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, it's the sort of game where you realise... And, like, for a writer, fantastic. I'd be walking around playing for hours and I'd realise I'd be solving all these problems <laughs> on, on stuff that I'm writing. You can do it on, yeah, it's a, a casual automatic game. Yeah, and there's a place for that as well. That's good. Relaxing type of stuff. Well, um, as a as a segue, and we'll definitely, I think, um, check in when you hit your second 90 hours. <laughs> <laughs> do you think you got another 90 in you? Probably not. No. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you why. Yeah. And, okay. Well, the other thing is the planets aren't different enough. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing the same ingredients um, shown in slightly different ways. I wanted to go to an ice planet. I want to go to mm-hmm. a Tatooine-type sand People planet. think procedural means um, unique and different. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It, just it absolutely... Because you still have to have parameters, and those parameters have to fit a certain... It, it's the real... Thing. It's the right. real have to fit organization of the same thing. Absolutely. And I wanted, like, a planet where maybe I can only see 20 feet in, in front of me, yeah. you know. Procedural allows you to have a lot more of something um, without labour. And yeah. that's the only benefit that you have through procedural. The downside to it is that you will find pattern yeah, in randomness. You can, you can mm. still see the patterns. It's yeah. interesting. So, um, um, Citizen Con, is that what it's called? Oh, yeah, yeah. Citizen yeah. Con. Citizen yeah. Con 2016. Just, uh, it's on at the moment, I think. I think it's actually on at the moment. Mm. Um, and so, you've got to check it out, gentlemen. It's stunning. Um, it starts out in sp- they, they have a bit of a um, bit of a look at the procedural planets version two. So hang on, we're looking at Star Citizen, right? Yes. And um, in a lot of ways, these are our this is uh, Hello Games's competitor in this kind of space, yeah. or at least Larger I think competitor. the one that's going to make No Man's Sky an old distant memory, that's and and Elite Dangerous and every other bloody competitor. That's if they actually make it a game. If at they the get moment, it. as far as I know, early access you can. Um, do have a, a hang of full of sh- ships. You can run around. You can you can fly and oh, stuff now. You, you can fly. They're, they're slowly bringing it all together. Yeah. Um, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, Star Citizen tends to make a load of promises. Yeah. And I was initially very skeptical right at the very start because um, same here, <clears throat> same here. You know, anybody would dream up a question on the internet and say, "Will there be goats in the game?" You bet you'll yeah, be goats. Hell yeah, we've got a goat system. There's 12 designers working on it right now. Yeah, you wouldn't believe the amount of goats we're going to have. Athletic game. goats. We're going to have acrobatic goats. <laughs> so everything seemed to be in the game, yeah. right? But I have been kind of watching it, and I'm kind of like, they're kind of pulling it together. <laughs> yep. 
Okay, so procedural. This is their. This is all procedural. Plus. So we've got trees, we've got. Same instance. Right? They cruise past a planet, past a space station. Now mm. they're down in the atmosphere. They're literally flying through trees down on the on the land. From space seamlessly with no loading screens. Yeah, no loading. It's same instance. You can instance. do that on, on No Man's Sky. Same instance. Yep. There's no loading? No. Nope. That is the game changer for me. Especially if you're sharing that. Because they use this example where I can put something down and fly off and you can fly up and pick it up off the in that and, and we're in the same mm, yeah that doesn't that's not no man's go same instance um this one here if you ever get to see this with um with sound um this guy there's a guy on the and for, for those without pixels to look at, we're looking at a mountain. Somewhere on, on top. You hear him? Can you hear him yelling? Yeah. <laughs> he, he was yelling as the ship goes past. Um, and I think Roberts interrupts the, the vision and says, oh, yeah, he says this because people were laughing at the guy sitting on top of the mountain yeah. with a flag like, waving. Um, sorry, Rick, what were you saying? I was just uh, um, describing what it was we were looking at for those oh, yes. listening on iTunes. Yes, absolutely. pixels. Um, we're looking at a flyover over a, uh, an alien landscape, um, completely procedural driven, little patches of fog and atmospherics sort of dotted throughout the landscape. Um, it's a very, very volumetric world, lots of dis- distance fog. Um, very different art style. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Very, very realistic type of style. It's very realistic. And this goes on to, let me jump through a little bit here. He, um, he comes in. Um, let me show you this. Uh, We're looking at from the inside of a cockpit. Here so we go. Ships. You can walk so, around on the ship. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well. So this is a larger ship. Let me just jump this back a little bit so you can see it from the external. Um, so we see it flying along here. It's a four engines, sort of a mid-sized cruiser, yep. I'd say. Um, and camera pans around and then jumps into the cockpit and we start to see what, uh, what the player actually sees. Up until now, we've sort of been a... Um, maybe a programmer's camera or something, you know, mm. some sort of uh, game cam. But yeah, these are the customizable characters that you're going to be able to uh, to create. Um, hey, he's got a, a haircut like me. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like a, a certain clone trooper that, yep. we, that we won't, won't mention. So yeah, there's a distress beacon here, but you can't. There's a ship alert warning or something you can't a, a ship can't go near this beacon so you have to go he, what he does is he goes back over to this landing pad here and he lands and um let's sh- let's show this uh, section here so he's landing have a look at the landing gear it even compresses and, yep, and yep, you know they're really nice. really looking for the details here so he leaves the cockpit um, walks back into the ship past all of the where he can have a sleep and there's all these different uh, uh, assets within the ship that you can interact with so he goes towards the back of the ship and um, goes to his locker of course before you go roaming around a planet you need to put on your planet roaming armor and uh, yep and uh, paraphernalia and get kitted out and then he jumps in a lift goes down onto the landing pad pretty cool looking dude with his sunnies on and then they show you a little bit of an insight into this weapon system here so this is a, the rifle that he's yep, he's got yep. and he's just sort of sussing out this this thing then he goes back to the ship huh. and he cranks out the the rover uh, 
And this thing is friggin' awesome, man. It's got six wheels. It's got all independent suspension. And, and it's got this turret that comes up from the side and locks into the top. And um, beautifully done. And so far... A, a really nice looking game. Seamless. No loading screens. Yeah, no mm-hmm. loading screens at all. Um, and so there's a shot of the uh, the Third rover. There's the gun going up. Yep. Yeah. Um, and and this can have multiple people, multiple players. Mm. So all three of us could be in that in, on our own on our own individual PCs. Um, and so he now has to drive the three kilometres to the distress beacon because he can't fly there. Uh, so he drives along, and on the way he finds some uh, some crashed r- relics and things like that, and he checks those out. This this thing here. Yep. Um, he finally goes up to where the beacon is. I think I've gone a bit too far. This, this little area around this landing pad and towards the uh, crash ship is very Tatooine-like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This all looks re- for for procedural. It's pretty nice. Yep. Yep. Um, so he checks out some stuff here and then goes up this, uh, where is it? There's a canyon, uh, which I think is back here. So he's driving through this canyon and, oh, there's raiders. There's uh, there's some guys waiting for the ambush in That's the canyon. Very Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, they take, out his, uh, they take out his front wheel. Bang. One shot. There's there's geometry rolling everywhere, and and they're continuing to fire, and then he has to jump out the back and and start returning fire and and shoot the bad guys. So what have we what have we seen here, right? What have we seen in so far? Where look, they even have bat, sort of wrapped headdress and goggles. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm expecting to see R2 Deacon <laughs> wheeling himself. Through they the do canyon. look like uh, sand people, don't yeah. they? Um, so it's a first person shooter, right? It's vehicle, yeah. Right, so you can explore in in vehicles. God, we needed that in No Man's Sky. <laughs> Bloody hell! Um, it's you, you've got enemies, so you know it's the troop shooter. But also, we had planetary uh, flight, so it's like a fighter fighter jet type thing. So you mm-hmm. can have you can battle in the atmosphere, mm. in amongst canyons and shit mm-hmm. like that. And then it's space flight as well. And then obviously there'll be probably some sort of trading. Some sort of mining, maybe. So they have been able, because that was the big thing. Could they have a space sim and seamlessly go from a space sim to a first-person shooter? Well, the thing is, they never lose. They never leave the third, per- first-person shooter. Yeah. Like the space sim is in first-person mode. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you never leave it. I was watching the development. What they had to do, they had to go to 64-bit. Mm. So they had enough number depth for all the coordinates that they needed to. And that becomes have. that becomes important here in a second, right? Now watch what he does here in a minute. He'll, he'll go in there, or he might have already done it. Um, but at one point, he looks up and sees the space station in exactly the space that it's supposed to be. It's the yeah. space station he flew past. Only through the 64-bit mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. can they have that there. And they've he also make, got a, he makes mention of it. They've got another system, which is a local coordinate system that gets generated inside vehicles. So once you get in generated there, it creates a new space world that you can walk around in. Yep. But that's then sort of linked in some sort of hierarchy to the vehicle itself. So you can move around inside. People come in. They can walk yep. around inside. Then you can go out and you're in the, in the big world coordinate system. Mm. Um, if it's procedurally generated, all right, so this planet's been made, um, now, say someone turns up a and few weeks changes later, it. 
Now, will it still be the same planet? Will it remain, once it's made, will it remain exactly the same? Or? Yeah, it's procedurally generated, so it always generates the same mountain in the same place whenever you go to that place. Yeah. But on top of it, there's a art layer. There's another layer. <coughs> and so that can all, be handcrafted. Yeah, yeah. So all of, uh, I don't know to what level or depth it is, and I imagine, and I do believe actually, that they've, they've got random things that'll turn up as part of the procedural generation, but... Uh, there'll be um, yeah customized things that's created by artists that looks really cool and it sits in that place yeah. you know space stations and all of those sort of things yep so if someone lands on this planet <clears throat> someone else two weeks later they'll have almost the same planet no 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 they'll have the same planet they'll have oh. the same planet they might not have that buggy that's, yeah, that's, that's just been I mean. blown up in yeah, the, yeah. In but that's the, the dream that's the dream they've got um, yeah. as as you were saying they want to do that you can grab a box and leave it there yeah. and somebody can come and pick it up later on and, and yeah. these type of things that's the, the dream that they've been promising with all like you say you crash a ship and the mm. ship has got a buggy on it right? And the ship's unflyable but the buggy's fine but you can't get the buggy off, off the planet you can get a mate to go and pick the buggy up yeah, in yeah. theory and then bring it to where you are. Um, mm -hmm. That opens up some pretty incredible possibilities. I think that's the space station up there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and at one point he uses his rifle and zooms in on it, and you can literally see it turning. One of, yeah, one of the other cool things that was in their previous demo was that they flew from space down to the planet, then into a space station. One of the guys jumps out of the spaceship and just goes running around inside the space station. And they're waving to each other <coughs> through the windows. One's the in guys, the ship, and the other one's in at a pub. And so that's to prove that it wasn't a um, procedural... Uh, it wasn't an instance. Yeah. They're both still in the same world, and you can park the ship out the window, and if you can jump out yeah. the window, you'll land on the ship and get back in again. So we could all meet at that <coughs> pub... Right, yeah. we could have fifty people meet at the pub, and we could take turns to go out and race around the canyon yeah. in front of the pub. So mm -hmm. we could we can um, we could commentate and watch the race while we're with friends, um, all in the same instance. Mm. Mm. I don't know if you can have like a million people in the same instance. Like right at the moment, I don't know, it's thirty or forty or something. That's going to be the big thing for me. Mm. That's going to be the, the, the... Well, we know that you can have more than one, mm. but I'm interested to see what that cap is. From up last in my watchings of it, you know, it's like 15, 16, 20, 30, it's something like that, yeah. but it's not like a million people yeah. in, the, in the world at one time. Cool. So, yeah, yes. It's very impressive. I, I wanted to... Um, I only found that yesterday or the day before because this event's actually going now. Um, so there's some there's some cool stuff out there with in relation to that event. Um, one thing worth looking at eventually finds this uh, this old crash derelict ship thing he gets off his space bike and he starts to run around it um, starts to run around this this ship and he's taking people out and things like that and then at some point there's a sandstorm and he takes refuge and, it, yeah, and the sandstorm cool. starts blowing panels off this ship that he's hiding in nice um, yeah it's, it's really really good and then he realizes there's some people coming to um, um, to get him or something like that he I think this ship, this crash ship, is, is an example of part of the procedural generation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so these turn up and nobody knows where they are. They're just part of the, the landscape. Yeah. Um, that these... Yeah. And see this here, right? He's taking a few shots. Watch. Yeah, Holy yeah baby. Wow. Yeah, that's, baby. That's straight added <laughs> dune. <laughs> so, so far, I've seen Tuscan Raiders. Yep. I've seen um, speeder bikes. Yep. And did you, did you see the guy down on the sand then running? Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's, here, I'll show you again. When that thing's... Have a look down on this area down here. At some point, um, there's a guy running for his life. 
Yeah. Look, yeah, look, right. look, look, look. <laughs> All right. Well, that's epic. Yeah. 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 That's very epic. I think um, um, Chris Roberts, he's sort of narrating this a little bit. Mm. And when whoever's playing the game takes a shot at that thing, he says, oh, I probably wouldn't have done that. And then, <laughs> sure enough, it, the game wigged out. Um, it starts pulling out and, it's, and it shows this full pull. Watch, watch this. Um, so it's all the way back up into space. space. Yeah. Um, and then it glitches out or something and you're back there staring at the super worm again and whatever and then they close that. <laughs> it wouldn't be a Roberts <laughs> live event if yeah. something didn't go wrong. But man. They're definitely getting better at it as well because yeah. those, there's a couple of guys that are like acting out. Yeah. You know, they're doing the whole thing and, um, and he's narrating and yeah, yeah, they're getting really pretty slick at these demos. It's, um, <sighs> yeah. I'm very excited about it. I might actually, because I've avoided, um, you know, paying up early because I thought I want to wait till you actually look like you're going to make a game. I want to yeah. see whether the goats are in it or not. But it looks like the goats are in. Yeah. Well, originally they were. <laughs> what were they were going to do is is release a, a smaller game called Squadron Forty Two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the original premise was you you can earn your right as a citizen by doing military service, mm-hmm. and it was a way of teaching you how to pilot and things like that. Um, and to get into the game and yeah. be combat and all that sort of stuff. Part of uh, Citizen Con is they've announced that there's a delay on on, um, on Squadron 42. 42. Okay. And that has put that was meant the to be rumor. The rumor mill went nuts oh, because yeah. they're they're thinking, oh, the cracks yeah, are over. cracks are forming. But that's been going on forever, and they're still mm. pulling it together. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I he's come out and said, well, it's because I only get one chance at releasing that game. I only get one chance to show people that game. Sure. So that's why we're not showing you at, at, at uh, CitizenCon 2016, and we're not going to release, it's not going to be ready to release when we set it, which, which I think which is, is this December year. this year. Yeah, yeah. So it's meant to be this year. Which yeah. I, I don't know whether they have... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, it's one of those games where um, I've been in two minds, whether it's, you know, the biggest case of feature creep ever. Yeah. It's definitely or, the biggest case of feature creep. Or is it just... Um, organic development, like we've we've achieved X. Oh, let's try Y. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's, you know, so yeah. Like, is it feature creep or is it? I think it's feature creep with somebody who's competent. Yeah. At the helm, who can pull that, it off. It doesn't mean he, he can he can still go off the rails. Yeah. He can still go off the deep end. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, he's pulling it together. He's keeping the train on the tracks. And he's so. a, he's a real taskmaster apparently. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. feature creep for those people who aren't in game development is when. You're trying to make X game, and you keep adding new things in all the time, so the game's never finished. Yeah, it just gets bigger and bigger. It just gets bigger and bigger, and, and bigger. not better and better. Yeah, and out of control. They, where you go for more instead of improving the things you've yeah, got. Yeah, it's it's like you start off trying to make a muffin, and you end up making a wedding cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you put more tears on the wedding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Now the game. Just before we finish on this, the game might cost you three thousand dollars to play. Yeah, we talked about this. Uh, what? And when Dan first said that, I thought you were a madman. And then he re- and then he, he quickly made me realise you're going to need a three thousand dollar machine. You're going to need a three thousand dollar machine to run that thing, man. <laughs> Oh. Trust me, you are. You definitely are. You're going to need at least SLI, maybe 1080s um, parallel. And oh. <clears throat> I don't know. I think you're going to have God to... God knows how you're going to do VR. I think you're going to have to have a bit of tech to run it. So, 
Yeah, it might not oh, be. Might yeah. Be cheap, <laughs> All right, I might hold off investing. Yeah, yeah. See, that's that's the problem. Like, because you don't want to play that dumbed down. You want all that mm. beautiful stuff mm. in there, mm. and I'll pay for that absolutely. Mm. But if it means I've got to drop an extra two grand on on two more graphics cards to get the thing running, because I want to also play it. VR. I don't know if it's fair to say that it'll be insane, but you might have to next gen yourself a little bit to, to yeah. get happening. So, yeah, yeah, because yeah, I've got a pretty powerful machine now, and it won't run that. Yeah, I've I've got a pretty powerful machine, and it has no hope of mm. if that's what you need. Yeah. So I might wait for you know a few years yeah. for my next upgrade. Yeah. It's easy to test. They got the demos. I there have been and tempted like to put that. my sixty bucks Same down. Here. I haven't yet, but Same here. I have been tempted. And meanwhile, no, um, Elite Dangerous are still plodding along. They're, they're like the wagon train, and these guys are like the, the Harley band, you know, like yeah. a group of Harley riders going across the, the same plane, um, wreaking havoc and owning every town that they get to, whereas this mosey along uh, Elite Dangerous crew are just cruising along. We're going to give you a feature you, you next month. You could kind of graph them that, you know, Elite Dangerous came out of the starting blocks at 100 miles an hour and then got up to a kind of a plateau and has just been kind of I don't know. Then it's kind of realised they're a bit low on petrol and they're yeah. like, oh, we'll better ease off the, the yeah. throttle here a bit. Spent all the money. Mm. Using that metaphor, where would No Man's Sky be? I don't think they're in the same... Not Well, if you went... This is my biggest disappointment with No Man's Sky. If you went off the marketing and you went off the... Mm. Um, the the rhetoric and the and and what everyone was talking about and the excitement, it should have been up there in the same stratosphere. Yeah. It's not. No. The thing about I think Elite is that they came out of the blocks, the starting blocks, really fast because they had a very 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 cut down game, and they're going to add to it. And everybody kind of had the impression that that's kind of what was going to happen. Yeah. But I think. No Man's Sky set them up the other way, that they'd come out of the starting blocks yeah. with all bells and whistles blazing, yep. and um, and it would be job done, you know? And Walk I think away, that, yeah, drop yeah. the mic. Yeah, and the they didn't they didn't come with enough to drop the mic. Mm, mm. And, and But they had the attitude <laughs> of drop the mic, and certainly had the bank account. You know, they, their bank account's looking pretty good, if that's what... Because I can guarantee their development budget wouldn't have been huge. Mm. Um, certainly not. 45 million in what a month mm. I don't know how much more they'll earn mm. after this point so it's considering the, the graph thing oh yeah uh, is that yeah Star Citizen is that they're just super slow it's just been super slow and loads of talk but yeah. it's now starting to to pull up yeah. together so it's ramping up pretty quickly and the things we feared are right there mm. they're there you can see them and they're working mm. the things that we thought no, there's no way you can make a space sim to yeah. compete with with elite and, and that and have shooters mm-hmm. you know and be able to first person it or jump out of your spaceship and float through space and steal stuff off another yeah. ship and then go back to your ship and that was and they the can, th- they've shown you that they yeah. can do it and that was the theory that the idea of having a first person planetary shooter and a space sim the insistence on having them in the same game was what was causing yeah. all the delays and pro- probably was because that's a, a, a hell of a thing yeah you're combining two genres which are very, you know, don't normally exist yep. together. It um, feels to me like seamlessly. They, they've gone down the route of the whole thing is a first-person shooter, and yeah. and just like a good first-person shooter, you get to vehicles and things like that, yeah. and you can jump in them, and yeah. you can. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Instead of a space simulator, it's a first-person shooter that allows you to fly spaceships. Yeah, it yeah. just happens to look like a space sim once you're in those spaceships. Yeah, 
but it's a shooter. And Elite is actually the opposite. It's a space sim yeah. uh, that potentially you might be able to walk around. Yeah. Well, at the moment, you don't even have a head. Like, if you if you take, yeah. if you you take put VR on and yeah. then you get up out of your seat and look back to where you're sitting, your avatar has no head. Mm -hmm. It's just a suit with gloves um, because they that's how much they don't care about you walking around and seeing yourself do stuff. That being said, um, some of the latest stuff I've heard from um, Elite Dangerous is they're actually starting to ask the audience. I'll be buggered. I'll be buggered, exactly. I don't know if you've been following no, it, but no. they, they had some crazy, crazy design, design decisions yeah. that generally rubbed most people up the wrong way. And it was like, why are you doing this? They had one mechanic, which was engineers, these guys, there was these... Engineers were spread all over the universe, right? And in many cases, 400 light years away, right? Um, Which takes you hours to get there. Hours so to get there. But before you can even talk to them, you have to find some kind of ridiculously rare mineral and, and present it to them as a gift sort of thing. And then they'll talk to you about upgrading your flight oh, drive or that's whatever. A, a similar, slightly similar to No Man's Go. But you can't get the twist. upgrade until you go and get the resources for the upgrade. Now, here's the problem. You can go and spend... A week finding the specific resources because no one knows where to look right you've got an entire universe to go and, and find that was part things. of the fun right yeah. is that there's no instructions yeah. you've just got a hundred universes just go hunting for some rare mineral or something right and they don't tell you whether it's in an asteroid or on a planet or it's or it's in some guy's cargo hold and you just gotta got to go and find it now if you're lucky enough to find the shit and you go back to the engineer you say i want um an fsd mark ii upgrade mm -hmm. and they'll say Okay, well, give me, give me that special mineral. You give them the mineral, and then they go, and it's like rolling a dice, and it can come back. It can come back and actually upgrade your ship so that it's slower. <laughs> yeah. So they had this. And if you don't like that, you yeah. you pay again and roll the dice, and it might be faster the next time. And so you could have six attempts, and only get like a two percent increase. So three weeks worth of work. <laughs> yeah, these are right? busy parents working on this you've, game. You've increased your power by 2%. <laughs> wow. And there was a friggin' uproar, mate. Like the community <laughs> was like, I'm turning in my wings. <laughs> so there are a bunch of those de these decisions. And one of the problems that was kind of identified by people is that the designers don't play the game. And part of the problem was because the game is an epic space six-month experience... You ha the designers have to play for six months to understand these issues. Mm. And so the designers would perhaps come up with this, herp, herp, let's do this. And then they're like, is it working? Yep, UI, working. Fly there, pick up, I can pick up minerals, yes. I can do roll the dot. Okay, perfect, done. Yeah. Job done. Yeah. But they didn't see it like in context. It's like you have to spend six weeks searching <laughs> random crap for random chances but to get But that's exactly what a designer's supposed to do. Absolutely. Like, like programmers and artists can get away with that yeah. mm. but a designer you're designing the experience mm. in which you know is your experience for six months or two weeks you know yeah. you need to and that's what separates a designer from the thinker of shit yeah thinker of stuff that's you know a designer looks supposed to look at the whole thing the impact the mm. the uh, you know what does that feed into and mm. you know. that's pretty much design 101 yeah mm. So they're now taking questions from the audience. What would you like to see? What do you think is about the systems that we've got? And it's a real bit of a change of direction. Yeah. Um, and they're probably picking up off Star Citizen with their constant every week. The 
you know, Chris Roberts asks a question about, now, these goats that are going to be in, will they be able to fly? He says, yeah, sure. We've got rocket packs. we got this mechanic. We'll stick rocket packs on the goats and they can fly. No worries. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in the designer's defence, is it their decisions? Is it a producer's? Is it, you know? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you never know. That's right. You will never, ever know. Mm. And, and artists have the same problem as well. You, you, you create things sometimes based entirely on your own creativity and a lot of times on it's a giant spider. Yeah. That's right. We're getting back to our starting conversation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's and I've worked for a lot of... I will tell you this, gentlemen. The reason why I'm here right now and not working in the industry and working in the capacity that I do is because I work for too many giant spider director <laughs> wannabe producers. Yeah. Seriously. And, and they're rife, man. They're everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say that's one of the issues I have about going back to work for a big studio mm-hmm. is putting up with the big spider guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that and the stupid hours. Like they have the your studio. legacy in their hands. They have your yeah. career in their hands exactly. because you're only as good as the last thing you bloody exactly. did. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you may have bugger all control over it yeah. and if they want you to mix a soy sauce with the chocolate cake <laughs> yeah. uh, you're going to you're going to be known as the chocolate the soy sauce chocolate yeah, guy yeah the idiot yeah. who did that because <laughs> if it doesn't work it's all you exactly exactly and you know and this guy's getting paid you know this person who's being paid you know, four times as much as you yep and has a hundred times more power mm. you know you, you're just a minion there you, you can't just go nut. Nah. I mean no. you, you can say oh I think there may be some problems with that mm. And you can have a very short conversation, and they'll yeah. convince you that you're. Well, they won't convince you, but they'll tell you that you're wrong. Mm. And you've got to then, you know, find your soy sauce, your chocolate, <laughs> and start mixing. <laughs> you know, it's, if you want a salary. It's the norm. That yeah. is the norm. Like the blissful um, Garden of Eden job to work on is the one with a collaborative director that has earned his stripes, that has come through the ranks and he appreciates the artists and what they have to do. The producer that gives the direction, the director what he wants and doesn't pretend to be a creative. He's only there to resource the project. And that's, I'm talking one in 10. One in ten projects mm. are like that, and the rest of them, it's daddy's money, um, the spoilt kid that mm. only exists, uh, only owns a studio because daddy bought him a studio, and things like that. It happens everywhere. Um, two of the places that I worked at for um, of of size worthy note are exactly that. We're exactly that scenario. And, and then there's cor- corporate politics. Yep. You know, they want that project to fail. Or, yeah. you know, yeah, self-sabotage. Or, I see that all the time yeah, as well. Which I didn't even think existed. Yeah. A naive person thinking if you invest all this money and time, you're definitely going to want a product that sells. Mm. Yeah. But apparently not. Not always. Sometimes no. you can actually make more money out of a loss. Yeah. It depends on what country you're in. Look at look at Donald Trump. Yeah. Declared a $900 million loss and hasn't paid tax since that year. And mm. then there's also per- personal ambition. It's there, you know, someone may gain by that version in that place doing badly. Yep. And then they can come in and be the hero. Like, there's so many weird and wonderful mm. scenarios where. Uh, yeah, I agree. And the planets have got to line up for for there to be a good product, one that you're proud of, one that you can tie your name to and, and ride ride the coattails of a little bit, that you meet good people, that you mm. form good relationships. But, um, God, that's rare, man. That's rare. It's not impossible. It's like pokies. Like, you only got to have one good win and it'll keep you coming back for a while. Um, and that's what production's like. It's sort of, you'll yeah. have a, a few evil queens in there and then, um, and then you have one real cool... cool um, 
experience mm. and, and it can only be termed as an ex- a life experience mm. um, and that just keeps you coming back keeps you keen and there's you know there's the to me the golden triangle you have the, your colleagues management and the corporation yeah. and normally as you know if one or two or if one if there's only one that's there it has to be mega strong mm-hmm. but normally there's two and you got a third one that's totally screwing mm-hmm. the other two and but we tend to hang around because there's at least two <laughs> two out of three are yeah. bad yeah absolutely yeah well we've um we've done an hour and a half there gentlemen. really mm. yeah. time uh, and and realistically it was it was uh it was just a conversation we didn't we didn't really have any pre-prepared stuff um and i like this format so i reckon we should when when us three get together we mm. should um pick something um even if it's a, a starting point yeah and mm. then we'll just mm. we'll just explore it like mm. this because mm. we have really unique um perspectives perspectives on it did, um dan did you um just interest in interested did you have things that you were hoping to to discuss no week? no not today i was just hoping to do what we just did yeah so yeah, yeah. i had some backup stuff if we if we ran dry but i didn't mm-hmm. th- I, I wasn't really entertaining that notion that that was going to happen no running dry i don't <laughs> think is a rubbish we need to worry about because i've met us all i've run into us uh, a couple of times uh, what i am going to do though is uh, give you a little taste test of what i want to have a look at next week um as you'll noticed by the various memorabilia which you don't get to see much of on the podcast there's a lot of it around the room um and what i wanted to cover next week and and have a look at is memorabilia and props and um and this new almost cottage industry that's uh, sprung up over the last 10 years of people setting up their own little prop memorabilia replica studios in their basements Mm -hmm. and feeding the um comic-con crowd and the um, oh, what's the word it escapes me what is it when I get all dressed up like cosplay uh, cosplay cosplay, yeah. cosplay is huge actually I'm, I'm huge going to huge industry I'm going to a steampunk festival in Goulburn on Saturday oh really oh, cool got a costume no, no. Ah. steampunk take up a very big percentage of what these guys that are making these yeah, one off yeah, props and yeah. stuff and because they're one-offs and they're made so well you know a lot of them are cast resin um, or lathed metal and they're one-offs and so people are commissioning these guys so they they don't do a thing until you pay me so you pay me a grand and i'll go and make the the lightsaber that no one ever no one else will have mm-hmm. you know um so that's what i'm going to cover next week i'm going to have a look at some props and, and movie props and memorabilia I actually and have s- a some of the big players giant vase it's probably about uh four foot tall from fastgate oh really oh, right wow yeah. that's I awesome bought, I, I bought it in a Antique second-hand furniture shop in Sydney. Because <laughs> yeah. they shot it here, Fastgate. Yeah, they yeah. shot it here, and lots of it on the Gold Coast. And a friend of mine who um, was peripherally involved said, um, check out this shop because I, I know they bought a whole bunch of props. Yep. And when Beck and I went <coughs> down, it was the last thing. Yeah, right. And right. Uh, we didn't have the money for it, so we just didn't eat for about two two days but we <laughs> bought it anyway yeah and it's still in our house now that's cool man mm. metal vase and it's got history and it's got a it's got a story to it yeah. and it has a connection to cult um yeah. or pop um therefore it's associated with emotions that you had when you that you have as an attachment to that thing yeah that's why i like the stuff i love any sort of memorabilia or models um that 
that are cool to create or source, but also have this con- this this connection to a, a simpler time and innocence mm. in your life, a younger time mm. and things like that. Mm. So in my journeys, I just want to give you a little taste test. In my journeys, I um, I found this guy, and what you're looking at here is the gentleman that designed in two days the stormtrooper outfit and helmet for star wars uh english guy he was commissioned by lucas while lucas was shooting in england Mm -hmm. um and this guy came in and created the let me skip through here that's very iconic yeah so so what you're looking at here is a um a casting and then he's just fine tuning it that casting ultimately gets um gets cast in metal they they drill a whole bunch of little holes in it so that they can do this. Wow. It's vacuuming, right? Now, so there's little tiny holes all over it, and underneath is a big vacuum unit. And so he'll show you the process here. He'll he'll lower it down, he'll slide in a bit of plastic, he he heats the plastic for about 30 seconds to a minute, and then he brings the cast up and then sucks the air down mm. and that's what you're left with and after a minute it's rock solid it's mm. it's cast um, stuff and this guy here right uh, Ainsworth he needed a little bit of money to go and study right so he thought well I've got all the casts stuff like that might as well sell some stormtrooper outfits so he cast them and started to sell them then Lucas found out and decided to sue him like Lucas decides to sue everybody. I think at one point he tried to sue the guy that created Battlestar Galactica because the uh, Lucas had some warped idea that he owned space uh, in film. So he tries to sue this guy. It went to court. Six years, I think, it went through the courts. It ended up, when asked how much did it cost, and he said, look, I'd rather not talk about that. And they said um, um, th- tens of thousands um, and he just quickly jumped in and said, no, millions. Hmm. So it cost him millions to defend it. And what the British court found is the Stormtrooper outfit was a product of industrial design. And you can't copyright industrial... You can't own the copyright if you're not the original person that designed it. Ooh. It has a different set of copyright laws. Oh, that's interesting. And it was successful. Mm. So the, he now is the only guy on the planet that can legally sell Stormtrooper outfits. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And he sells them for about $500 each for the genuine copy. This mm. is this is his site. It's called the Original Stormtrooper. Oh, I've been here. Yeah, and he sells the, um, the high-end copy, and he also sells a lower-end sort of uh, version. Um, it's... Absolutely. He designed all these. He designed the Rebel Hat, which is realistically the top of it. The, the dome was taken from a World War II naval helmet. And he's, and so that's what he started with, and then he wrapped everything else around it. The um, Remember the... These ones here. Where's he gone? This one. This is the, the Rebel helmets, right? Now, the Rebel helmets were... <coughs> quite literally the stormtrooper uh hat like this so you can see there that that's the world war ii um, military uh helmet almost like a the same sort of helmet that general Patton used to run around with with the stars on the front of it right Mm. so he vacuum forms this then he does this one where he half vacuum forms it and then he trims that half and sticks it on top of the other one 
and staples it like does use rivets and he rivets it back together and so and then he put a bit of glass so he could be like a commanding officer mm. he puts a bit of wire on the side he did all this in a couple of days mm. and then had 50 of them out on the set for stormtroopers and stuff like that and so these are the helmets that were worn by the guys the stormtrooper the this is the um the uh, tie fighter tie fighter pilot yeah tie yeah. fighter pilot so the tie fighter pilot is the is the stormtrooper but you take the helmet from the rebel and stick it on top instead of the normal stormtrooper helmet and then you put a few things down into mm-hmm. the greeblies and mm-hmm. things yeah, like yeah. that so yeah this is the sort of stuff i've found in my travels that i'm going to have a look at next week probably not so much this here mm-hmm. um but yeah memorabilia props um one of the things i'm excited to show you guys i won't show you snippets um this will get you salivating there's a there's a tv show where they literally uh take world-renowned blacksmiths and they create iconic weapons from mm. like thor's hammer um there's a Lord, Jap- japanese Lord rings yeah, yeah 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 absolutely there's a japanese sword um that is used in a sci-fi manga mm-hmm. thing um and these guys use the traditional samurai method of creating one's a russian guy and another mm-hmm. like they all have their own disciplines and they come oh, together right. and they forge these swords yeah, yeah. using traditional methods and create these weapons like loki's um loki's uh, staff yep, from yep. the avengers and um and they recreate this stuff from scratch so i'm going to show you some of that stuff next week as well excellent yeah. awesome. so that's what we're going to have a look at next week any parting words gentlemen anything exciting coming up for you this weekend this week what do you got happening um oh i got too much happening that's what i got happening you got family in town yeah yeah got all sorts of things going on spinning plates and <laughs> <laughs> obligations all right so my parting words are <clears throat> not even quentin tarantino mixes chocolate sauce uh, soy sauce and chocolate cake <laughs> i think i just mixed chocolate sauce and soy, soy cake a big thank you for rick uh rick legato for coming in and uh, spending some time on the desk and we look forward to having you back again and yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we can ramble about our next topic and solve the problems of the world as we do so what's our what's our sign out dan that was our sign out don't mix don't cross the the cake and the soy sauce i love it see you later see ya